When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to bring you a conversation I had with Brittany Berger. She is the founder of Work Brighter, where she talks and teaches about inclusive productivity, fighting hustle culture, helping disabled, chronically ill, mentally ill, and neurodivergent creatives balance work and rest. She also talks a lot about content marketing and content remixing, if you're interested in that. But in this conversation, we stick to productivity specifically. And I, for a long time, have just admired what she's doing with WorkWriter, where she's talking about productivity being personal and that there's no one best system or tool or tactic or time management method. It's all about finding the best one or the best right mix for you. That rest is work when it's needed. You have to rest. It's okay to be lazy, air quotes around lazy. That self-care is a soft skill and much, much more. In other words, a unique and very much needed voice of reason and a very much appreciated perspective on productivity and what it means, not just for some of us, but for all of us. And that's what we get into in this conversation. We talk about the concept of deep work and how it's not just about focus, but also energy management when it comes to that. And that it's imperative to weigh the cost of the time spent on tasks and consider that end goal in mind and really just understanding the individual differences between all of us and finding time for creativity and rest and the value in a weekly review and the value in journaling or tracking your time and your energy so you can find those ebbs and flows, not just in your personal physiology and psychology and emotions, but also a way to match your tasks to those so that you're one, not overloading, but two, not expecting more of yourself than you should in a good way. And since I want Brittany to explain that better, I'm just going to get out of the way here right now and say, enjoy this conversation with Brittany Berger. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Brittany Berger. Brittany, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. I wanted to have you on for a while, and I said this in pre-call. I don't know when I became aware of you, but at some point, I was following you on Twitter and your newsletter, and I just... You're a breath of fresh air to people who've been talking and thinking about productivity for a while and have seen kind of things come and go like inbox zero. And remember that? I think people still do that actually. But again, it was never what people thought it was, but you do a lot of marketing and content. Well, not creation, remixing, but that's not necessarily the angle we want to go, but I do want to call that out, but maybe you could spell out a little bit more what you do with Work Brighter and everything that you're working on. And then we can dive into deeper work, so to speak. Sure. So Work Brighter is a digital media company and shop and community 
that just really helps professionals, but particularly neurodivergent, disabled, chronically ill professionals, people dealing with energy limitations, helps them really divest from the hustle culture mindsets and productivity tactics that are only going to burn us out faster than we already would with our limited energy and find a more balanced and sustainable ways of being productive instead. And I really focus on prioritizing three elements that I like to consider our work, rest, and play. So it's not really about productivity, but I also don't love the phrase work-life balance. But I like to think work, rest, and play encompasses a lot of like the three different ways you can spend your energy. Yeah. And I'm now realizing one of the things that really kind of clicked when it came to what I was seeing you talk about was my wife over the past couple of years has been diagnosed with like autoimmune stuff. And so her energy levels wane drastically. But I also realized, well, so do mine because I have diagnosed ADHD. And so and I don't necessarily look at that as a superpower. I just look at it as being something that others don't have to deal with and vice versa. And really, it just comes down to we're all unique. We all have our own well, we want to have our own story. We all have our own capabilities, et cetera. But that doesn't mean we don't have stuff we have to get done and do and work to survive and thrive, et cetera. And so that's one of the things that I really thought, you know, listeners of this show would appreciate is your perspective on this. So I'm just really glad to have you here. Thanks. Yeah, I feel like I used to be very much obsessed with productivity and hustle culture and like productivity was the end in and of itself. And I just feel like, yeah, my own experiences with health and stuff just showed me how wrong that perspective is and that productivity should just be a means to an end. You know, the point is not to be productive for as many hours a day as possible. It's to do the things that I need to do as like effectively and efficiently as I can and then spend the rest of my time resting, playing video games, hanging out with friends and things like that. So the point of being productive isn't just to work more. It's to be able to fill your life with more besides work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, totally agree. So I know recently <laughs> you were talking in your newsletter, which I suggest everybody get to because it's very cool and I'll link it up in the show notes, but you've been talking a bit about deep work and kind of the misconceptions that have come up around that. And we were talking pre-show a little bit about kind of our different connections with that. When did you first become, I mean, obviously the book was, I should have looked this up. I didn't think to look it up. Everybody, air quotes, everybody knows about Cal Newport and Deep Work. Cal's been on the show a number of times. The last time was about his email book, which is great. I love that book. But Deep Work specifically can be kind of that buzzword that, and it did, and I think it still is, and I think you probably think the same, where people still kind of hold on to it like, no, get in the zone and, and get in the flow and get stuff done when you're focused. But that's not how it works for everybody. I'm curious, like, when was your first kind of encounter with that? And what was your process of kind of redefining your relationship to deep work? Yeah, so I probably found out about it soon after the book came out, even if I didn't read the book immediately. Like I said, I was a huge productivity nerd. Before Word Brighter was more about balance. It was like personal blog that was about how to be productive. So I probably wrote about like how to do more deep work at some point in my life and then deleted that. And yeah, so the concept of deep work, you know, it's really illuminating. And the the basic idea is really helpful. You know, be aware of what work you're doing is deep and requires more focus, when it's shallow, 
And then, you know, the book also talks about how you really want to maximize how much deep work you do and minimize how much shallow work you do. And I think even at that time, when I was first learning about it, I realized like, all right, my amount of deep work that I can do can probably only be maximized to a certain point with my energy limitations. Because back then I was really, really in a different place health-wise to the point that when I left my full-time job, I wasn't even sure if I was going to be running my businesses. I just knew that I couldn't work full-time anymore. And so I realized that. But what I don't think I realized is that that's not necessarily a, like a bad thing that I can't do as much deep work. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm not going to be as productive. And so I think I held on to this kind of valorization of deep work as the better type of work, the more successful or productive work. I think I held that on to that until pretty recently. You know, when I couldn't do deep work, I'd be fine. I would switch to shallow stuff instead. You mentioned my other stuff with content remixing before. And, you know, one of the reasons I focus on that so much is because repurposing content still takes time, but it takes less energy than creating content. And so a lot of times I have the time, but not the energy. And so I understood that part, but I still just kind of had this part of me that was like, if only I could do more deep work, then things would be different. I would be more productive. My businesses would be more successful and stuff like that. And I think I still kind of held on to a kind of bit of that belief until recently. But last month I traveled, I live on the West Coast in California. I traveled to the East Coast to visit my family. And that usually really takes it out of me. Um, flying flares up like all of my chronic illnesses. I'm also up to sick. And so the sensory elements of flying in airports and then being in an unfamiliar space since for like a week at a time, it's always hard. I said in another podcast interview recently that like at least the past three times I burnt out or any bring working too much or from like traveling too much or in a way that wasn't accessible enough to me. And so at the end of May, I was traveling and I got back and my brain just wasn't braining. But it was also like the weather just like wasn't great for going outside and have the energy for like doing much around the house. Like basically all I wanted to do was sit on the couch with my laptop. And so I was looking for, you know, other things to do, like ways to be productive. And so I really spent two weeks doing like absolutely no deep work, just shallow work, not even that much of it, working maybe a few hours a day. And at the time I was like, whatever, I'll go back to deep work when I can. I'll go back to writing as much as possible when I can. But then in like the few weeks after, I I realized that, oh, the shallow work I did was actually like some of the most important work I've done this year and some of the most like results producing stuff. And it was just like all basic tech maintenance stuff that I did that took zero energy while I was either listening to an audio book or watching Netflix. But it was just things like fixing things on my website that were keeping people from joining my email list and then things on my email list that needed to be updated so that email people, email subscribers were showing the products to buy and stuff like that. And yeah, so that's probably one of the most important things that I've done for my business's revenue this year. And it was all done like on the couch with no energy. And it just changed a lot of what I thought I knew that, you know, I thought that like my deep work with my most results producing work. And so I was kind of like, oh, crap, Um, I didn't unlearn it all the way. (laughs) (laughs) And so, I've yeah, I've kind of been realizing that. And so, you know, I'm still trying to really be intentional about being mindful of like deep work versus shallow work. But instead of optimizing for as much deep work as possible, just number one, optimizing for doing it at the right times. I'm really big on energy management. And then also I've been trying to think about like, what ways can I use shallow work to reduce the amount of deep work I need to do anyway? Like, for example, the more email 
automations I set up, you know, on the tech side, the less new emails I need to write. I mean, that's deep work. I also think about just things like, you know, the more time I spend researching and reading about a topic before I go to write about it myself, the easier writing will be because I'm kind of informed by point of view already. Same with like outlining or making notes. Um, I'm just kind of also thinking about, you know, how can I do like more small, easy tasks that kind of build up to a bigger task? Like in the words of Tiago Forte and his building a second brain stuff, uh, like how can I be more strategic about creating those intermediate packets? Because I feel like Tiago's metaphor with like the slow burn versus the heavy lift type of work, like the heavy lifts are like the deep work stuff. And so I really trying been trying to think about like, how can I spend less time like sitting down and writing from scratch and doing a heavy lift or, you know, building something from scratch? How can I just like prepare better, plan better? This is like another conversation that I think a lot of people automatically assume that spending lots of time planning is procrastinating. But I think if you are strategic about it, then like the more time you plan, the less time the tasks take. So it's like if you like go into more detail and things like that, like you're basically just thinking it all out in your head. And so then when you go to do it, it's a lot simpler. Yeah, you're really kind of clearing out the pathways. It's like sledding. I don't know. That's what just popped in my head metaphor wise. I love metaphors. It's like you've cleared off the path. You've created the runway. Now you just need to sit down and you just slide. Yeah. Like really thinking about like reducing friction Mm -hmm. and not trying to do as much deep work as possible for like the sake of doing it. How can I, you know, reduce the amount of time that I'm doing it without like reducing my effectiveness, things like that. So I've just been really trying to think about that a lot differently lately. I couldn't help but think when you're talking about the only thing you wanted to do was sit on the couch and watch Netflix, but do it with your laptop. Most people would say, oh, you're not really doing work. But thing is, is you were doing things that if you had bundled a bunch of those things up together and created a deep work time block set aside to do those things that would have qualified it or quantified it as deep work and made it okay, you know, air quotes. but. Sitting there on the on the couch with the laptop and Netflix makes it shallow. And I don't know that that I think the lines are more blurry there in general for most people. Yeah. And another thing that I've been thinking about is like the time versus energy thing. And Mm -hmm. deep work is really about spending as little time working as possible. And so I think that deep work sessions, they they really do compress a lot. Like, yes, they're supposed to be like very productive, but they're also very intense and very draining. And so I've been thinking about like, do I want to get this task done the fast way, a deep work session, or do I want to get it done the easier way, which might take longer, but be less draining overall? Yeah, that almost seems like, and I know I don't want to mention the energy hangover because you've mentioned that recently in your newsletter as well. It seems to me like the, the deep work conundrum that people need to face or their perspective on it is it kind of gets drilled into us that deep work is kind of like taking a cave day as people have said, Oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go rent an Airbnb. If you have the means and the time Uh, I'm going to go do that. And then I'm going to sit and I'm going to play specific music that gets me in the right brainwave length and or mindset. And I am going to do a Pomodoro method and sit there. I'm throwing out all these buzzwords because I want to call attention to it. The trappings of it, at least. And I will walk away having written half a book or a whole book or a ebook or a PDF or something. You know, I will have done, I will walk away and have this thing done. And the, the key here, I think, is that it's not about 
the setting aside of the time or the blocking out of the distractions, which are good things to do, but it's based on you and what you can do in an amount of time. But it's not just about time. It's about the energy. Exactly. And that's the key. Even in college, I couldn't do an all-nighter. Like, I always would get to 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'd be like, I'm now wasting my time. I just need to sleep. And I've carried that over into adult life and thought, okay, I'm going to take four hours on a Saturday morning and, like, get caught up on this and this and this and have grandiose ambitions and get, like, one-tenth of it done when I'd actually try to get it done. We put so much pressure on ourselves to not just be productive, quote unquote, enough, but also to be productive a certain way. Like we tend to get these ideas in our head of what productivity looks like and the pressure of trying to then conform to that image. We're then spending energy on that instead of being productive. And so I think that you then kind of get in this trap where the pressure to be productive is making you less productive. But, you know, like all of like the science and psychology kind of stuff says, you know, like, People are, you know, more productive, happier, more effective, more successful when they're like regularly like relaxed, when they're happy, when they're motivated. It's just, you know, like we need to take the pressure off of ourselves. Yeah. The shame and the guilt ends up being a pressure of procrastination. And then you still feel like you can't do anything or don't know where to start as, as good as your intentions may be, or as good as your, you know, planning and preparation were, you know exactly what you need to do, but you just feel like the amount that you need to do in the amount of time that you need to do it and other factors is debilitating. And that's where like the energy hangover productivity hangover that you mentioned comes in. I define that as like when you were so productive that like you kind of borrowed productivity from future you. It's like when you're so productive one day that the next day you cannot think in full sentences. And I think that a lot of people kind of overlook that if they don't have uh, like a kind of situation, uh, whether that's like a health issue with energy limits or, you know, being a single parent or something like that. You just I don't think you tend to notice how like quickly energy gets drained when you're not dealing with such like limited amounts of it or such like limitations on it. And so, yeah, I think it can be easy to just kind of try to maximize deep work. But yeah, if you think about it as like a productivity loan from future you, I, I like feel like that's great at putting it in perspective because sometimes it is worth it to do that. Like if you have a deadline at, you know, 5 p.m. on Friday, it is and you've got to get the work done and it's 1 p.m. on Friday, then it's worth, you know, borrowing from your weekend productivity to get it done and rest over the weekend or something like that. But sometimes it won't be worth it. You know, sometimes it's 1 p.m. on a Monday. And if you do four hours of deep work, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday are going to be really frustrating. Yeah. And it's it's about weighing that cost and knowing, okay, was that four hours? And well, ultimately, it's about the end in mind. What was it that I walk away with from that time having done? And when it's done, was it worth it? Or would it have been better for me to have spent 10, 15, 20 minutes across the week, you know, not planning on burning out because of it? Because you know, you know you. And so that's why you would know how to handle that better. In fact, that's really the vein we should probably go through here is because everybody is different. You and I are different. Every listener is different. We've got to determine where not not just our skill set, not just our abilities, but like 
what does our life and, and our life circumstances? There's so many, I mean, there's so many different circles that it cross over in this Venn diagram. It wouldn't be a podcast episode if I didn't say Venn diagram, but um, <laughs> in that center of that Venn diagram of all the different hats and expectations, internal, external roles, et cetera. How do we start to determine, okay, I know my limitations. I'm aware of when I'm best at certain things, certain types of work, whether that's phone calls or emails or writing or creativity for that matter. Like when do you take time to be just creative and let your brain not think, but it's still doing it. It's like, I wish I could shut it off and it would stop. But how does an average person and then all us on average, because we're better, we're, we're on a spectrum. <laughs> how do we approach? I don't want to say designing because that feels like a lot more work to say that crafting or approaching or just starting from a place of awareness. How do we start to have greater awareness of our ebbs and flows that we can work within? People will either either love this or hate this, depending on the type of nerd they are. Um, so I that. things like journaling and tracking are really the things that I have found the best for learning my own limits and patterns and rhythms and things like that. Whether that's journaling throughout the day as you finish a task and like how you feel about it or tracking your uh, energy ebbs and flows throughout the week or your productivity. Um, like the whole way that I kind of realized the concept of energy hangovers was that I would notice in my time tracking that the number of work hours I would do as the week went on was just like a steep decline. Like I would work, uh, you know, like eight, nine hours on Mondays. This was back before I really knew my limits and disability stuff. And so, you know, I would, I would do that on a Monday, you know, Tuesday, I would try to do that much again. I would get maybe like seven hours. And by Friday, I was like, and this was when I worked in an office. So like I had a full-time job. I would be at the office all day Friday and get nothing done. And it wasn't even like I wasn't trying to get things done. I was trying, but failing. Um, And so it's just like, yeah, that declining productivity throughout the week, because my body, my brain, it just like had a set limit. And I was meeting that limit too early on. And I was like, you know, hitting that burnout point. Well, not burnout, but you know, I was like, boiling point uh, just way too early in the week. And so then just declining day after day. And then Fridays, I would go home and I would get home at like 7 p.m. and I would go straight to bed until late the next morning. So, you know, that's like a severe energy hangover. But yeah, I realized that from time tracking. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need 
indeed. Basically, you've got to track your time. You've got to notice not just what you're doing, but when you're doing it. And of course, this this all feels like self-experimentation in a healthy way. It's not like with drugs or anything, but uh, it's one of those things where it's like this can. And, and, I, and I acknowledge what you said earlier about a certain kind of nerd, because definitely this is not for everybody. I don't feel like a lot of people I'm even a little adverse to it because I don't know that I want to write down every moment of every day what I did. And well, let's let's walk through that. How would you track that? Like it's because it's not just about the task. You know, so we don't need to do, um, you know, like every task of the day. I would just think like if you get off a call and you are thinking like, oh, my God, I'm so glad to be off that call. Any like kind of extreme emotion or feeling like that's something you want to take note of or any like outliers when you're feeling a lot more energetic than usual or any less. And then just also in the energy management course I teach, we do like an energy tracking exercise where I recommend doing it, um, like having a alarm on your phone that just goes off like every four to six hours. So it's not like something you have to have open and next to you all day. It's just like tried two or three times a day, just enough so that like when you're looking back on the week, you can kind of understand the ebbs and flows. And yeah, I would say like any extreme emotion, like take note of that too. So glad to be done this task. I'm dreading starting this task, things like that. And this is just something where the whole like, depending on what type of nerd you are, um, like if you don't like tracking and like numbers and like rating your energy, which is kind of what we do in that exercise, like there's also just journaling at the end of the day. Like a lot of the times uh, when I journal, it just like before I kind of get to like the more abstract, like random stuff, like it usually starts with like, what did I do? How did I feel doing it? Or how did I feel about it? It's kind of just like the format I go through journaling about my day. And then I might get to something where like once I write it down, it brings up a few other thoughts and I'll write that down and just kind of gets the thread going. Okay. So I'm sensing that there are different approaches then to this. Again, you could either be very quantified in your data, so to speak, about it, or you can approach it more like it's, you know, you're having a healthy relationship with yourself. And that's kind of the, you know, you're taking note, you're checking in with yourself. Hey, you know, it's almost like texting yourself and saying, Hey, how's your day going? Yeah. What really matters is that you're checking in with your energy and then reflecting back on it after the fact, Uh, whether you do that with numbers or words, like in a spreadsheet or in a journal uh, or in like a voice notes app. I tend to forget this because I'm such a writer at heart, but like for some people, like the best form of journaling might be vlogging or audio notes that you just don't actually publish to the public internet. Yeah. It's almost, oh gosh, I'm going to go even more nerdy and say it's kind of like Star Trek with a captain's log. <laughs> exactly, though. Yeah, it really is. I love it. See, I am an audible processor and me just saying that out loud felt really kind of cool and geeky because I want to. I love Star Trek and two. I am much more of that kind of a go outside and walk and talk with my phone to journal than I am sit and properly type things up kind of a person. Yeah, exactly. I I love that analogy, too. A lot of times I think of um, the needs bar in The Sims. That's like how I manage my life, like hunger, energy. And like there's really important lessons in The Sims uh, about productivity and self-care and stuff like that. Like if they don't sleep, they will drop to the floor in the street and sleep if they need it. Like and they will not go to work if they're not in a good enough mood to go to work. Yeah, it's just and they're supposed to be like us. <laughs> and so I feel like playing The Sims as an adult like taught me a lot about human anything. 
like, oh, right. Like, I do need to remember to eat because I would see what happened to my sim. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said about, you know, basically going and working in an office and the way that you're, you would start your week one way and it would end a completely different way. And yet, even though we were surrounded by other people who we felt were feeling the same things or, or had it all together and we were keeping up the appearances too. I think a lot of people are a lot more alike. Again, it's, I'm being very generalized about what I'm saying. And I know that that is not the case, but I guess what I'm trying to get at here is as we are working more remotely, some of us have to, and some of us get to, and some of us are doing a hybrid approach or whatever, but it's calling attention to in the fragmentation of the workplace, I guess is the best way to put it. We're realizing that, oh, I don't have to keep up appearances the same way as I used to. And really, it's not about appearances at all anymore. It's about what you can do and what you should do and being effective with that. And if it's, hey, I only have four hours today, not just because that's the time I have, but that's the energy I have, then it's about maximizing that without guilt or shame. Yeah. There are a lot of things that I like to say we know in our brains, but not in our bodies. Like we objectively know they're true, but like we forget to behave as though they are. And I think that this is one of them. When you tell people like, oh, it's not about what you look like when you work. It's about the results you produce. I think a lot of us would, most of us would agree with that, especially listeners of the show. But then we're still putting that pressure on ourselves unknowingly, like even if we're not putting it on other people. So, you know, we're not like, fully with our whole body behaving as if we know it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that uh, then if we were to take some of that data, say if as people are going through your course and they are tracking whatever way works best for them, all of those different factors, once they have some data, though, what are some of the questions they need to sit and, you know, work through, I guess is the best way to put it in terms of then designing or you know seeing what is or isn't available to make changes so that they can you know better accommodate themselves let alone working with others in teams that's a whole other nightmare yeah oh yeah a lot of the the starter recommendations i like to make uh once you kind of like know that when your kind of best hours for certain types of tasks are is focus on like sometimes the hardest things you do in a week whether that's like physically hard or emotionally hard or whatever, um, just like the things that you have the hardest time getting yourself to do. And I would start looking at how aligned when you're doing them is to like the type of energy you have. Uh, so for example, one thing that uh, I noticed myself when I first started using energy management is that I would usually try to do my calls, which was again when I worked in an office first thing in the morning. And so that way I would just kind of like do that while I was like drinking my soda, eating like the breakfast that I would eat at my desk and stuff like that. Because it would usually take me a while to get into my like work anyway. And so it felt like, oh, if I'm not going to be super productive, I might as well be on a call again. That kind of idea of like what even is productivity because the calls were important to the job. But then I realized that like when I was actually so tired, I actually just hated being on the calls. So like that early in the morning and like having to, you know, be mindful of like my facial expressions and being able to like, you know, follow group conversations going, moving at a fast pace. Like I hated having to do that first thing in the morning. Like 
The whole idea was that like, I'm not a morning person, so I don't write at my writing job in the morning anyway, but I kind of forgot to take into account that like calls and communication are just as draining as writing for me. And so kind of it was a mismatch. And so I started doing my calls more in the afternoon, like after my lunch break, it would still be like a kind of time when I was easing back into kind of focus mode, but I was more awake at that time. And then another thing that I did was I spread out calls more. Uh, One of the really common productivity tips you hear is to batch calls. But again, when you're thinking about like pacing yourself and your energy, that requires a big block of social energy to use all at once. And if you don't have big chunks of social energy all at once, that can be really draining. And so when I was doing that, in theory, I was doing that to like make more dedicated focus blocks of writing on my calendar. But then the social blocks were so draining that I couldn't actually write during the writing blocks. And so instead of having one day a week where I batched all of my calls or meetings, I just had one window that any day of the week I would take one call and that would be my limit. I love it. And that's a great practical application of you sensed what was going wrong. You were unsure of it, but then you kind of tracked it. And then from that self-tracking, self-data collecting, you were able to analyze it even at a surface level and realize, wait a second, if I just kind of shift this here. And again, I love going against common best practices because best practices doesn't necessarily mean it's best for everyone. As my dad used to say, common sense isn't very common. And I I think that's the same way with all these best practices. It's like, wait a second, batching is great. It can be if it's a lot of like one and two minute things and you're in a mood or a mode for that. But like, For me, calling over and over and over again or doing a bunch of different calls all at once, it's like, that's not my thing. I've, I mean, right now we're recording this and it's like, for me, it's four o'clock on a Friday afternoon. For you, it's like, what, one, one something. So totally different, like one, totally different sun in the sky, totally different time of day. It is late in the week, not really optimal, but like, that's why. I took a nap this afternoon and then had a tea and then perked back up and was like, all right, I'm excited to talk to Brittany. So home told my partner taking a nap after this. There you go. See, and that's the thing is like by knowing that, by knowing ourselves and knowing how we best work and what we when we can best do it, it, it really helps. I know that, you know, your standard work week is going to look different for everybody, but I think one of the things you enjoy doing or or have found to be very helpful is a weekly review. I know that's one of those things that comes out of David Allen. Walk us through a little bit, like, what's your approach to that? What's your relationship with that, Ben, up till now? Because that's, again, one of those productivity, air quotes, buzzwords, weekly review. But I don't think many people really do it or at least do it in a way that's maybe best for them. Yeah, I think that I really got consistent with it when I started bullet journaling because it combines really well with like the bullet journaling migration thing. And I feel like there's so much underrated productivity advice and just like built into the structure of the bullet journal. And so, yeah, review is kind of built into like migrations the way writer Carol recommends it. You know, it's like you actually go over each item and you don't automatically move it over to the next week. You carefully consider, does this need to get done? And things like that. And so I think that like once I had a new spread, I was excited to set up every week in my bullet journal. That's when I kind of got consistent with things. When I first started weekly reviews, I think it was actually a way of like keeping myself busy on those Fridays that I was super too deep for it. But I I remember that like the last hour or two of each Friday, I would just like put on Spotify. 
I would clean out like my downloads of my like file. I would like organize my files. I would clean up my inbox a little bit. I would clean my physical desk and like I would just get things ready for Monday. And so I think that that was like the start of it. And then that evolved to like also making a list of the appointments and stuff like that. And I think the reason I don't have a very complicated relationship with the reviews, like a lot of people do, is because I don't think I ever tried to do the whole process that David Allen recommends. Like I never went from like zero to I never tried to go from zero to there. You know, once I did learn about that process and try to like implement like that formal review process, I already had a little bit more of an informal one. And I just kind of built up over time, you know, like it started just, you know, like tidying the physical and digital desktop. And then it was making a list of my appointments. Then it probably came to adding projects. Um, now I have like a huge page in Notion that I go through as like for my weekly review and it like involves cleaning up my Notion workspaces, like embedded news and things like that. And one thing that actually really helped with my weekly review was also deciding to have a weekly meeting with my partner, like kind of at the same time that I normally do that, especially since we both work from home and we share the car. And so just like going over like, you know, like what days do either of us need to leave the house? Like we'll be gone and we'll need the car, things like that. What chores need to be done around the house? I think the weekly review also really helped me get a handle on housekeeping. Just not a strong suit for mine. And it was a problem when we lived in Manhattan because there just wasn't space to be cluttered and messy, but we were. And I think that sitting down Sunday and thinking like, what housekeeping things am I going to do throughout the week? And I would make a list. And instead of trying to do them all at once, I would space things out. I think that what's really helpful for the weekly review for me as someone who, once they get going in like a brain dump or something like that, like can go forever, is that it's like has an extended time frame. It's like this one 30 minute moment in time on Sunday is then tied to like the rest of the week. And so it's kind of, I like knowing that everything I come up with this in this brain dump, there's been like a week to space out the tasks and stuff like that, as opposed to like a daily one where it's like, oh God, am I going to do all of this today? <laughs> and so, yeah, I think of, I go through things like, what work tasks am I going to do? What errands am I going to run? What chores am I going to do? I've become a house plant person since then. So now it's also like, what non-routine house plant chores do I need to do? Do I need to repot anything or propagate anything? And so I just like have this list of triggers and it's just a lot more, again, personalized. The key to everything is personalizing the best practices to yourself. Um, I started with kind of like the David Allen types of things of like going over your dates and your list of active projects. But then I've just kind of gotten more granular over time and made those triggers more specific. You know, like what do I have to do related to my gardening projects and making them a little bit more specific just helps kind of trigger your brain a little bit better. I love it. And I love that you've personalized it. I think that's if there was any way I could describe to people like why they should pay attention to what you're talking about and doing and and really getting on board with one, your newsletter and everything else that you're working on is, well, one, you're personalized. I don't know that people love or hate. There's a connotation to the word holistic, but I think that's maybe appropriate because it's factoring in all the factors is kind of my definition of, of that word. And I think that's what you're doing. Yeah, like one of the reasons I mentioned before not liking the phrase work-life balance is because they're not separate. They're not disconnected. Everything you do in one affects the other. 
And so when I look instead at like everything you do impacts your energy, work drains it and then rests in play, like recharge different elements of it. And you've kind of got to balance out how much energy you're expending to how much you're recharging. Yeah, exactly. So I, I really think that uh, one of the things that, well, as we kind of wind down, I think that because I know you need a nap and, and honestly, I want to <laughs> relax for the weekend. So um, <laughs> see, there we go. I'm excited to see what else you're working on. I, I'm curious, is there anything else you're working on right now you want to like give a sneak peek at or people get on board with? This will be out in mid-July. So I'll hopefully be relaunching our membership soon. Um, it's been closed or closed for new enrollments for a few years. And so it's become a pretty small group. Uh, with access to uh, like a resource library of just different planning templates. Like, for example, I have a weekly review template that includes like prompts for how you can customize the generic one, things like that. A lot of different templates like planning, uh, weekly planning and daily planning, things like that. And I think that one thing that I try to do differently from other companies like that is that I don't say this is my one method. I think this is the best method. Here's products that use this method. I recognize that like, even though I prefer planners that are just a simple task list, that some people really need hourly planners. And so I want to offer both options. And I really just, again, it goes back to like best practices. I don't think that there's any one best practice for anyone, but I think that everyone has an ideal way to work. And I just want to provide them with the different options that they can pick and choose. Like instead of giving people the entire recipe uh, or like giving people like one specific recipe. I just like want to open the pantry and say, choose what you like. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I was going to say, as you were talking, it came to mind, like best practices are great, but the best practice is the one that's best for you. Exactly. Brittany, it's, it's been great to talk with you. You have probably a number of other topics that I would love to touch on at some point in the future. So open invitation. If you feel like there's something you're really passionate about when it comes to productivity in the future, just let me know. I would love to have you back. But Brittany, it's been great talking with you. Where can people find Work Brighter and more about you and get involved and, and follow you? Great. You can learn more about us at workbrighter.co. Join the newsletter. Comes out every Monday to start your week bright. And on social media, uh, right now, the only platform we're active on is Instagram, and we're just work brighter over there. Perfect. I will go ahead and link up to all those things in the show notes. And again, Brittany, great having this conversation with you. I look forward to having future conversations and visits with you. Thank you so much. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Brittany Berger as much as I did. I love the work that she's doing over at Work Brighter. And yes, as a marketer, I'm also very much interested in her content marketing expertise and content remixing as well. So if any of those, any or all of those things interest you, definitely make sure to check out what she's doing over there. I'll link up to everything we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Thanks again to Brittany for joining me. Can't wait to have you back on the show in the future. If you liked this episode, if you found this helpful, refreshing, and you know somebody else that needs to hear it, and I think you do, hit the share button in your podcast player app of choice. Share this with them or head on over to the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com and share it from there. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next episode. <laughs>